stop us in a problem. I'm glad you guys braved the storm. You made it. I'm, that might have been the most impossible thing you could ever imagine was that you were able to brave this storm and make it to church. So way to go. You've already accomplished something heroic today. Pretty good. All right. Um, very excited about, uh, about what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited about our series called Unleash the Impossible. I want to give you, just before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of kind of family business. Um, if, this, if you're visiting with us, I'm really, really glad that you're here. You're going to hear some stuff like, I don't know why that, I, I don't know if I care about this. That's okay. You probably don't care. But I do want to tell uh, our church kind of where we are. And, you know, gosh, I'm so glad that you're here if you're new with us. But uh, this is your home church. want to give you a sense of where we are. Just, you know, we have kind of the, the fit, not the fiscal year, but the calendar year end. We kind of look back at our budget and we look forward to the next six months of ministry and we go, okay, what can we do? We, we, we really are a church committed to living on what people give. We don't do more than that. We don't do less. We try to spend everything that we can, invest everything we can into the work of God in our church. Now, that being said, um, we, are, we are like 1% off budget. So I want you to know, I'm like super encouraged by that. I just want you to know. That's really good. Okay, yes. Yes. Now. Here's what that means. Some of you think that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Some of you aren't so sure. Like, just to give you a sense, in the past, we have been double digits behind, and we have not gone into debt. Our church has been really good about being really responsible. We, we're on a pretty tight ship here. But I want to tell you, we're pretty much on target. There's some things probably we'll have to make a few minor adjustments to kind of adjust for that stuff. But way to go, you guys. What it says is, you as a church believe in what God's doing here and want to be a part of it, and I'm very encouraged about that, which means... All of whatever we talk about in terms of God unleashing the impossible in and through this church is, I mean, it's actually could happen. Really cool. So you're going to, you lend fuel to that kind of stuff. Very excited about that. Very encouraged about our church. So we have great things to do. I'm excited about this next season of ministry. I'm excited about what God's doing. So way to go you. All right, let's get into this series. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. This is something that came out of a conversation we had in October with a bunch of our leaders and uh, it was a conversation really talking about what it looks like for this ministry year, and we've seen great stuff already. And uh, a, lot of the, a lot of our volunteers and a lot of our leaders said, we need to tell this to the whole church. And I, I wasn't sure if I could do it and how it would work. And so we've, we stretched out what was one talk into a, a bunch of weeks to kind of go really give a sense about what God could do in our church. And I'm really, really excited about it. So um, we're going to get into this Unleash the Impossible concept in a moment. Before we do that, let's pray, and we'll get right into it. <clears throat> Jesus, we are, um, and we are in need of your great love. Whether or not we already think we have a great sense of it or whether we're longing to find it for the first time, Jesus, we need your great love. Father, as we look at our lives, just take a quick sort of assessment of our lives. No one in here has an in- any intention of living a dull or predictable or boring or bland life. We want lives that matter. We want lives that have an impact. Jesus, we may have been told over the course of our lives that we are not capable, that we are beyond the ability to do those kinds of things. And and Father, would those, those lies be rewritten today? That through you, we can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And so Jesus, just for a moment, would you speak to the depths of our soul and the silence and stillness that we have every week? Would you remind us, Father, that you... um, that you love us and that you want to give us power to see the world differently and to have impact in it. So, Father, we give you a few moments that you might speak to us. Jesus, we believe you can do immeasurably more. 
Testament starts first with an understanding of your great love for us. Might that be made apparent today? In your name, amen. All right, well, if you did kind of sneak in a little bit late, glad you're here. Welcome. If you, uh, if you got a bulletin when you came in, inside that bulletin is an outline. If you want to pull that out, great. We're going to bounce around a lot of Scripture. We'll be in John chapter 6 and then in Ephesians 3, and so you can kind of figure out if you want to follow along in your own Bible, great. If you don't know, even know what I just said, that sounded incredibly strange to you. Everything you need, those are just books of the Bible, they'll be on the screen, uh, and they're in your bulletin as well in that outline. So you can follow along however you want, uh, but really glad you're here. Okay, so let me do this. We have a strange relationship with the word impossible. We just do. We have a strange relationship with the word. On, on, for on, one, on the one hand, the word impossible is one of those things like, it's like the way we describe things we just don't want to do. Like I ask my kids to take out the trash, and they look at me like, I, I can't lift it. There's just so much. I don't know what to do. I can't even, I don't I can't do it. I'm just, and then they kind of drag the trash through the, the whole house trying to like get it to catch on a corner and hopefully it'll rip up. See, it's your fault, you know. That, work, that goes over well in our house. We start thinking about the things we don't want to do. Some of us have started, like, maybe this is our, part of our New Year's resolution was to, like, get in shape. We joined a gym. We've been once. Like, I have been once. I am a gym member. I have a towel and, a, like, I have all dry fit clothes. And, but it's kind of impossible, my schedule, and I have kids. And it's just like, I can't do it. You know, that, there's some of that. On the other hand, we have this relationship with impossible, which kind of gets us to, like, if someone tells us something that we want to do is impossible, is a part of us that really wants to prove them wrong. <laughs> I have, my buddy and I were at, um, we were at this event the other night, and they had all, like this all-you-can-eat, you know, food, whatever deal, and he, he goes, <laughs> and he's a sucker for saying this to me, but I, he just goes, uh, hey, I, I love those hot wings, and I just go, really? How much do you love them? He goes, they're the best, and I go, I bet you can't eat that whole tray, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I can. I go, I don't think you can, and he starts going, oh, you don't think I could eat the whole tray? I'm like, well, I'm not saying, I just don't. And of course, I'm just Jedi like, trying to get him to do stuff. I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't, maybe you can. I don't, th- I, mean, I don't think a normal person could, but maybe you have special power. I don't, maybe you don't. You know, and he's kind of like, I'm going to do it. And my other buddy like stopped him like, don't, don't, Brian, don't do this. Like, he's trying to get you to eat this entire tray of hot wings and it will be terrible for you on our ride home. So please don't do this. More so terrible for us. But you get the sense. That we have this relationship with the impossible, which we're kind of attracted to proving it to be something that it isn't. On the other hand, we want to invoke the word impossible. We use it however we can to serve our own best needs and our own best interests. You know, most clearly, the impossible is just simply something that cannot be accomplished by any known means. That's it. I mean, it's just like this is something that can't be accomplished by any known or predictable means. Which means the way something has to happen for it to be impossible has to be beyond our own means. You get this conversation Jesus has in the very beginning of his, in his ministry with a guy who asks him the question, I think is really important. He asks him, how do I have a full life? Check this out. He says this. This is Matthew 19. He says this. Jesus looked at them and said, uh, with, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now the this that he's talking about, this question he's talking about, this man approaches Jesus and he says, I want to have the fullest possible life. I want the best possible life. How do I have it? And he's asking a question we're all asking. How do I have the fullest kind of life? No matter what you think about Jesus, if this is your first experience with church, if you got lost on your way to the hospital and thought, well, there's music. This must be the waiting room. Great. I'm glad you're here. Regardless of whatever you think, no matter where you are in the world, everybody asks this question in some shape or form. How do I have the fullest kind of life? 
And so people would ask Jesus this frequently. Well, how do I have this fullest kind of life? The terminology you get when people ask this, or as Jesus describes it, is words like this, abundant life, full life, obviously. You get words like the life that is life. You even get words like eternal life. And Jesus tells this guy who asks him about all this stuff, he basically says to him, everything that you have that you think can give to you the fullest kind of life will come up short. Everything that you think you have, that you, I mean, whatever you've got, in fact, what he actually tells this guy to summarize is, you're going to have to let go of everything because you think it's going to give you what you need. You have such a tight hold on it, and you cannot have the fullest kind of life until you let go of it. This fullest kind of life, no amount of self-discipline, no amount of influence, no other things in life can give you what you want, as Jesus would say. In other words, all of these things leave us empty. I told you, you know, like this is kind of the season where everybody starts trying to eat healthier or be in shape or do whatever he's making these resolutions. Our staff is like, we're all on top of this. Everyone's do, every, everyone on our staff, I think to a person is like, okay, we're all going to try and take some steps. Some people are working out. Most of us are trying to eat this same kind of like super nutritious diet. I've never been on a diet. This is horrible. <laughs> this is terrible. I just never wanted to be. And so I'm like trying to eat all this healthy stuff. I now know what it feels like to be perpetually unfilled. Everything I eat, it's just like, this is never satisfying. And it's like, it's not like a restriction in the amount of calories. It's just you can only eat certain kinds of food. <laughs> Dude. I, I mean, last night, my, um, we're at a birthday party for um, one of our friend's kids. And, our, you know, a bunch of our kids are there and stuff. And they have the best. I have my, my biggest food, ne- food weakness in the world is macaroni and cheese. Like, uh, virtually all varieties. And there's like, one of our friends makes this like, I, it, it comes from like some ancient Celtic tradition or something like that. Some, it's like some magical, and it's, I think it comes from Costco, but it, it's like, <laughs> it is so good. And they're all, everybody's like, Jeff, we got the mac and cheese. And I'm like, I oh, know, I'm just going to stick with the broccoli tonight. So <laughs> I love it. It's so good. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm perpetually unsatisfied. And Jesus is telling this guy, what you think you have is going to leave you with that kind of feeling forever. And Jesus calls people to a kind of life to him that is full of this kind of thing where he says, with man, it's, impo- it's impossible. With God, everything is possible. Everything's possible. The life that you are hoping to have can be had, but it's probably in a way you never expected. Now, those people who follow Jesus, they're frequently referred to in the Bible by this phrase, the followers of the way. It's not like, you don't get the word Christians only used, I think, three times in the Bible. You get... A similar people are trying to figure out what do we call these people in the book of Acts. You have can we switch to that screen? So I'm pointing at something. There we go. Uh, where you know you have these people who are called the followers of the way because they're somehow connected to a particular kind of life, a very particular way of living and being. These are people who have an understanding about God and about a way of life that's so bizarre because nobody else would live like they would. Jesus isn't calling people. It turns out to simply acknowledge a set of beliefs. He's not calling people to simply agree to some stuff. He's calling people to something else. His invitation throughout the Bible is to follow him. And those people took their cues from Jesus who lived a backwards kind of life. Most often in the Gospels, the four books of the Bible that account for Jesus' life and ministry, and then the next book called the book of Acts, you have this description of 
of a word. It's a little bit more compact. And you get this word right here, disciple. This is the word that people use to describe those who follow Jesus. Now, when we think of this word, disciple, most of us have an understanding this word kind of looks like the word student. Like it's, well, it's a learner, it's a student. And definitely part of discipleship, being a disciple, is the idea of learning. But it's so much more. These people who believed that there was an impossible kind of life that Jesus wanted to give them understood something. They understood that everything that they were about, their whole life was oriented around following this person of Jesus, and it meant that things were going to be different. It meant that there was a transformation happening that would take a long time. Jesus addresses these people called the disciples, and there's this conversation. These people are flocking around Jesus, and all of these people are asking Jesus. They're going, hey, how do I... How can I be full? How can I be filled? We're so hungry. Jesus is in this chapter in John, this book of John. Jesus has just fed a bunch of people, like miraculously, with just a little bit of stuff. And the people are super excited. And they're literally hungry. And the crowd follows them. They try to find out where he is. And they ask him again, can you feed us? We're really hungry. And Jesus goes, you don't know what you're asking for. And they go, yeah, we do. We know that Moses gave everybody manna in the wilderness when they were walking around. Can you give us the same thing? Because we're so hungry. Jesus says, well, I don't think you understand what you're asking for. So here's what it sort of looks like. Here's what it says in John 6. Verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds me will live because of me. Or feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now, Here's what's happening. Jesus is describing something. If you grew up in the church, you're like, yeah, I get that. He's talking about communion. You know, I've heard that before. I get that there's like this bread and wine. You have to remember, at the time he's saying this, nobody talks like that. Nobody says, hey, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you'll live forever. People are like, what? Just think how bizarre that is. You know, if, like, it'd be as crazy as if it would be like, if you chew on my hair, and you, you know, eat these fingernails, you'll live for Now, granted, there's more, there's more symbolism involved. But you get the sense of what I'm saying, right? It's so insane. Jesus is telling these people, you're hungry. I understand you're hungry. You're looking for lives that are full and rich and abundant. And I want to give you that. And here's what it looks like. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? That makes absolutely no sense to these people. So this is what they say. On hearing it, many of his disciples, remember these are the people who are following Jesus, said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I think it's a little bit more like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. We want to follow you. We believe in you. We're all about you. But living this kind of way, this kind of fulfillment that you're talking about, that's impossible. He continues. Verse Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wait, Jesus, what what you're saying, the way in which you plan on filling us, it's not enough. Or, it's not that we don't want to be filled. We have an issue with the means by which we're going to be filled. And we don't want it. So they abandon him. Then Jesus looks at his disciples the 12 are like the inner circle. And he goes, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Like, how many more of you guys are going to leave me? This is what I came to do. I wanted to give you this full life, this impossible kind of life. And he's like, are you guys going to leave too because it's too hard? 
This isn't in your outline, but this is what Peter answers. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? In other words, what he's saying is, we have tried everything else. We have seen everything else. And as absurd as it might be that you say these crazy things about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, we don't understand what that, they don't even have a concept of what that means yet. What he says is, as absurd as that might be, there is nowhere else I can go that's going to give me the kind of life I'm hoping for. I've already tried it. To whom shall we go? For a lot of us in here, we're wondering the same question. How do I have a kind of life that is full and rich, that's full of joy and peace? How do I have that? And the thing is, you've tried so many other things, you've been holding on to so many other things, and you look at Jesus and you go, but you say crazy stuff, Jesus. I don't know if I want to agree with that. And the question basically Jesus is asking in a sense is, in a very pragmatic sense is, well, how's the way you're living right now working for you? Is it giving you everything you wanted? Because here's what I'm going to give you. As absurd as it might seem, I want to give you a full and rich life, though it's way different than the way the world sees it. Now, these disciples, these people who are following after Jesus, understanding that it's a really difficult process. I think sometimes the, the church or maybe our own experience gives us the sense that when I start following Jesus, there's just rainbows and unicorns and happiness and joy and peace in the rest of my life. And my, you know, if you have adult children, they start coming back home and apologizing for the stupid thing they said that one Thanksgiving, five Thanksgivings ago. And all of a sudden, everybody's together and there's a new community and family. And for those of us who are having kids, everybody's healthy and well-behaved. And everybody says, wow, how wonderful. When you're not around, they say please and thank you. And they're great students and they're great athletes. And every, I wish my kids could be like your kids, which is really an affirmation of you because you're a great parent. You're like, I, that's what I hope would happen. And all that kind of stuff, we kind of go, yeah. And if you're a student, you're, you're going to school and you're like, I follow Jesus and now I should get straight A's and then I should go on, to, go on to Harvard and grad school, whatever else it is. We have all these beliefs. And Jesus keeps painting this picture. Are you sure you want this? This impossible kind of life, the life that fills, is great, but it's really difficult. You know, the word disciple, probably better translated as the word apprentice. You know, we have the idea of a learning kind of attitude about someone who's a disciple. But an apprentice, there's very few jobs still that require apprentices. There's, you know, carpentry is still one of them, where you have, you know, a year where you're kind of learning or years where you're kind of a journeyman, and then you become a master carpenter. But the idea is, at least in the first century, is that when someone is an apprentice to someone else, perhaps you've heard me say this before, they're done being apprentice when their work is indistinguishable from the work of the master. And so these people have dedicated themselves, these disciples, those connected to this impossible kind of life have said, I'm going to continue to follow this person that I might become like him. Not greater than him, but I might become like him. That people would look at me and go, my life and that person's life are indistinguishable. Which means they believe in some crazy stuff. And it takes a long time. Because it says in John 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my, my disciples. Now, this is what this means. It isn't simply that you agree to my teaching. It isn't simply that you acknowledge the truth of them. Holding on is written in sub, several different ways. Grasp. It's written other ways like to abide, which means to make your home in, to dwell in, to stay connected to my teaching. Then you're really my disciples, meaning this is an ongoing process of attachment to Jesus. Next, he says this, 2 John 1, 9. John's writing to the church. He says this, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ. Now, the idea of running ahead immediately makes someone no longer a follower. 
When someone runs ahead, what they're saying is, I've got it, I don't need you, you can follow me now. And John's saying, anybody who runs ahead, you're gonna miss something here. And does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. And whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Meaning there's this critical importance to people called disciples who would belong to Jesus and continue in, stay in, over time begin to work through this and begin to do this. Kind of, this is the kind of life God wants to give his people who are connected to him. Now, Jesus calls these people, these disciples, who would stay connected to him, he calls them to the most impossible kinds of things. Jordan already said it as we were talking about the offerings, which we didn't talk about. It's really cool that that came up. But here's what it says in John 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Now, remember, Jesus is talking with his disciples. They have seen him do crazy stuff. He has raised a person from the dead. He has cast out demons. People who were like crazy, that were abandoned, he cast the demons out of these people and they're like all of a sudden like they're fine. In fact, in one account of Jesus healing someone from a demonic possession, the people are scared of the person after Jesus heals them because they don't know what to do with the person who's been healed. You have Jesus granting people like sight who have been blind, giving people who have been deaf the ability to hear. He gives uh, food to people who are hungry. He does all of, they've seen all of these things. Jesus teaching with authority in all these places and kind of shaming all these teachers who are like, wow, how did you learn how to teach like that? They've seen all of it. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And the disciples are like, whoa, we don't know if we're ready for that. And then he says, and they will do even greater things. I don't know what's greater than raising a dead person. That's like the ultimate thing you could ever brag about. You know, I, I, did, I did make all CIF when I was in high school. Yeah, I raised a guy from the dead. <laughs> I mean, that's really cool. I'm sure that's really neat. How are your knees? Are they okay now? Yeah, whatever. But I'm, I raised a guy from the dead. I mean, it's like there's no, how do you get better than that? People who follow me are invited to be a part of participating in a kind of life that is greater than the life that even Jesus modeled. What? This is the belief of the disciples who would follow Jesus. We get to do and participate in the kind of life that changes the world. Even greater things than I've, that I've already done, these are the things you get to do. That's an impossible kind of life. That's what a disciple looks like. And most of us who have ever been through church have never been challenged with that kind of idea of this is what discipleship means. Most of us have an understanding about discipleship. If you've ever grew up in the church, what it means to be a disciple. That in some way or another, what it means is you go to class and you learn more stuff. And that's really valuable. I, I definitely, I'm, I'm not opposed to learning by any stretch. But the outcome of this is that there would be something impossible unleashed into the world. Not simply that you would know more for yourself. But there's this most difficult thing, even greater than that, even more difficult than this, is the absence of something that the Apostle Paul begins to identify in the church for these disciples. It's this thing that's so critical, if they lose it, everything else we've been talking about as we've kind of got into this sort of part of this message, everything else we lose if we miss this one thing. The Apostle Paul, who's writing, you know, to the churches as they're kind of forming up in different areas, he's, he makes up a lot of the, what we, sort of the New Testament of the Bible. He's writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, and he says these words. Let's, look at this. I pray that you, he's writing to the church, this is a plural you, it's not to one guy, it's to a bunch of people who are sitting in a church community. Being rooted and established in love may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp something. Now, he's saying, you have been given all this stuff, and I'm praying with God's power that you'd be able to understand something that you might miss. You're doing great stuff. God's at work. He's bringing people that have once been divided. He's breaking down the walls of division, but separated people. Wish we could do the same thing here. You know, but, you know bringing together people that have been divided. And he says, I'm, I'm praying in God's power that you'd be able to hold on to something. More than anything else, I want you to hold on to something. Here's what he says I want you to hold on to. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. He doesn't say, I want you guys to figure out how to develop a plan for some greater strategy. Like the thing he wants, the thing he's praying for these people, these people who have agreed to align themselves with an impossible kind of life. He says, I'm praying with everybody that above all else, you understand the breadth, the ginormousness of God's great love for you. In other words, critical to being a disciple, critical to being someone who follows and walks with Jesus in this full kind of life is an understanding of this great love. And the implication is that that kind of life cannot be had without this love. Keep on going. Verse 19. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, this is kind of an interesting phrase. I want to just kind of give you a sense of this. The idea of grasping something. You know, it's like this idea that says, if I'm holding on to something with great, like, energy, it means I can't also be holding on to something else. If I want to have a life that's filled to the measure of all fullness, which is where we started, it can't simply be done with a casual sort of barely holding hands. It has to be a grasping. I remember taking my, my youngest son on a, um, it's like, a, you know, the swings that they have at amusement park. They just go, they just go in a circle, but they kind of, they start off like on the ground. They kind of float up and they kind of start, now you're kind of feeling the centripetal force as you fling out a little bit. And there's this sense of him as I go, hey, buddy, put your arms up. And he just goes to me and he shakes his head. You know, I'm not doing it. And I go, no, try it. And he's kind of like, he's not sure how to do this thing. And we let go of the safety bar, which is really not a safety bar. It's just a panic bar. It's like just for your like imaginary comfort. But we let go of this thing to increase the fear, right? That's why we people do this. You know, I don't do it anymore because I'll barf now. But, you know, when I was younger, I would do this. And my son's looking at me like, if I'm going to die if I let go of this thing. And so I'm trying to get just one hand at a time, does it like this for a second. But there's this sense about him that says, if I let go, I'll die. Grasping on with his whole life. Now, the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying with God's power, you'd be able to understand something. You would grasp it. Not just know it, but you grasp it. Now it begs the question as we kind of consider what this looks like. What else, it, what else is it that you might be grasping or holding on to that makes it difficult to grasp this kind of love? Because what the Bible is saying is, so long as we hold on to those other things, it will be impossible to grasp onto this love with the kind of grasping we need to have. Literally translated, the word grasp is like seize, to appropriate, to lay hold of, is how it actually, it's actually written, to seize it. 
we will miss out on a life of fullness, which is where we start. You know, I, as I'm thinking about it, we started with this question about having this fullest kind of life. And we're faced with this idea that says, really, how do I have the fullest kind of life? Jesus is saying, here's what you can have. You can have the whole world, but it will leave you empty. And at the end of the day, you're going to be going, is this really all that I hoped would happen? Is this enough? Or are you like someone on a diet at a birthday party, feeling consistently forever empty? What is it in your life that you're holding on to, that you're hoping to give you fullness that isn't delivering on its promise? Is it the hope of a new relationship? Maybe you're seeing someone, you're kind of, maybe you just broke up with someone. Is it the hope that maybe in some way in the future there's going to be something you never imagined that you just thought would come about, that you just think, I'll just keep hoping for that and it'll happen. I don't really know about what that means. I'm just going to just dream about it. Is it a career thing? Is it a money thing? Is it a possessions thing? Is it all of that kind of stuff? Is it, is it some kind of experience of life that you feel like you're entitled to? Are those the kind of things you go, gosh, if I could, I'm holding onto that so tightly that I'm missing out on God's love. For me, I find myself aware that I'm grasping onto something that isn't this great love in the moments of impatience. It's like, oh, wait, that's a, for me, and it's all the time, I mean, this morning, I was running late. I had to get gas before I, you know, drove here. And someone was, you know, someone was over panicky driving in the rain. And you would have thought, in my head, you would have thought, like, I, they deserve to be arrested and shot, like, right there. Like, just like, you know, that, how dare you? They're, you know, it's like, and I'm like, wait a second. This is a person driving slowly. That's kind of what they're supposed to do in Stormwatch 20, you know, 2015. But I think about it in bigger senses of my life when things start go, don't go the way I'd hope they'd go. When I have dreams and plans and all this kind of stuff or my heart gets broken or I get wounded, all of a sudden I start thinking, everything is falling apart. The whole world is evil. And yes, there's evil in the world. No question about it. But I feel like I've been abandoned and lost. And maybe there's an indicator for me that I'm holding on to something that cannot give me the life that is full and abundant. And so Paul prays along with the church, for the church, that they might know the unknowable. They might grasp what cannot be known, the full extent of God's love, which is gigantic. Now, when people are filled, when the disciples are filled, there's this, there's this picture of filled to the fullness. The best expression is sort of a balloon. You know, you can inflate a balloon to all kinds of different capacities. It's always full. But the idea of being full to the fullness is that moment when you watch someone like, you know, trying to blow up a balloon, you think it's going, it's going to pop. It's like you're right at that edge where you think they're going, that's filled to the fullness where it's stretching and you just think it's going to pop in their face and slap them. It's going to be the best, right? <laughs> but the filled to the fullness means in some way, I watch my own son who's now six trying to make his own chocolate milk. He loves to make his own chocolate milk. It's like, if you can imagine a jar, it's like that much chocolate and like that much milk. Like I'm sure, I'm not even, can't believe it. It's like pudding, you know, all of a sudden. But he loves to make it himself, obviously, because it's just nothing but sugar in a little cup. But he just loves to make it, and he fills it so high. And it's so good. He's so excited. And he looks at me like, look, I'm making my chocolate milk. I'm like, looks like, looks like just syrup, you know, and he's mixing it up, and he's getting a straw, and he's putting it in there, and he's so excited that he can do it. Because, you know, it requires a certain set of circumstances. The milk jug can't be all the way full because he can't lift it yet, but he can, if it's like halfway or less, he can try, and he does it every day. He loves to make his own chocolate milk. And the inevitable thing that will happen is as he makes his own chocolate milk, as it's full, you know, like, 
You know when you're in science and you're learning how to like fill, th- fill the test tubes or whatever, or fill a beaker or whatever it is, and there's like, there's like a, a meniscus, there's like a little, a little bubble of just kind of the suspended liquid above the brim of the glass, you know what I'm talking about? And they're like, they're, they're talking to you about how this, you know, there's like this adhesion property of water, whatever it is that holds it together. My son pushes that to the absolute limits of physics. And there's this thing barely being held on. And you watch him then try to, just even to look at it, it starts to like, you know, the, the thing starts to rattle a little bit. And he's trying to pick it up and put a straw in it. And the moment he puts a straw in it, it all, the meniscus breaks. And there's just water, or not water, but the chocolate milk everywhere. And it's spilling over. Now, you, disciples, people who walk with Jesus, are being filled to the fullness, the full measure. And inevitably in your life, in the best way. My wife used to say this, by the way. She would say whenever my, my, first, my first son started being able to talk, she was, we were trying to be super awesome parents. And we are great, but we're not super awesome. But every time there was a spill, she would say, don't worry, it's just an opportunity. And so my kids would spill stuff and just yell, mom, opportunity. <laughs> so now we don't, we just call it a spill and we give them paper towels and say, do the best you can. And you know, the dog will get the rest. Okay. But you have this full cup and it's spilling over in the best way possible, which means whatever goodness is in you spills out. It means that in some way or another, in moving you around, you are going to spill out. That is what Jesus is talking about, about some kind of things that are even beyond him happening. Because those people who belong to him, filled to the fullness, might actually spill out a little bit. That whatever it looks like for someone to be an apprentice of Jesus, that it would be evident in their lives that people would go, whoa, whoa, whoa what's that? What, what's happening? What? There's something really great about what's happening in your life. It would spill out. Paul prays this, and he just kind of summarizes this prayer, this exhortation with this, with this right here, this ending sentence. Now to him who is able, speaking about Jesus, to, imme- to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's a great verse. What he's saying is, the God who gives us this power, the one who we're asking to give us power to understand his love, <laughs> Boy, that God's, that guy can do more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's the one giving us the power in our lives. Now, the outcome of this is glory. Now, how do disciples actually make this happen? How do they, in some way or another, live out this overflowing kind of life? Because, first of all, I would say most of us have a sense at times in our life where we feel like we're not exactly overflowing. The tank's empty. Some of you came to church today and you're like, I'm barely making it. That maybe they're feeling a sense of, I want to be able to have a life of abundance and fullness, and I'm barely making it. I think this is why Paul continually prays for the church to be filled. One verse in Ephesians chapter 5 actually says, it, it translates, we don't have this tense in English, but it translates literally, be being kept filled. In other words, the ongoing process of being filled would go on. And he's praying for that for people. Because we can sort of allow ourselves to kind of get empty. And what he's praying is, would you continue to be filled by the power of God in your life? Some of you have never encountered that in your life. You don't know what that's like. Some of you have and are feeling empty. And you shouldn't feel guilty either way. It's just that God wants to give you this and he wants to fill you. And we have people that would love to pray with you after, after the service to begin to sort of walking down that road with you. But that's what God desires for you. Now, for people who are being kept filled. What does it look like in the world? 
Now, for some people, when they talk about belonging to Jesus, they have an understanding that what it means for people who live as people who belong to Jesus, who are part of whatever it looks like to be this collection of disciples we call the church, they have this understanding that the best possible life I could have is isolation from the world. Now, in some cases, I don't want to confuse isolation for like refuge or sanctuary or the idea of like, I have been running with the world so long and I need a break from it, like kind of like a hospital or a locker room or whatever you might want to call it. I was at this, I was at this, this basketball game. I was, at, I was at the Laker game on the other day. It is, it, is, it is a trying time to be a Laker fan. Someone's like, hey, you know, we have these extra tickets, you can come. It was really cool and I went to go and... and um, the halftime score was 70 to like 38 or something. <laughs> Lakers are down. Kobe Bryant had zero points. And I just thought they shouldn't even come out of the locker room. <laughs> it's just so humiliating. It's against the Clippers, you know, which used to be like just sort of the junior varsity of Los Angeles. And now it's like, oh, it's just pain. It's just pain in your face, Lakers fans. In your, it's like, oh, I hate it. Now, what I thought to myself as they go to the locker room, I thought, don't even come out. It's done. It's over. Nobody even just forget it. You know what? We can leave early. We know what's going to happen. We know the outcome. You're going to give all the guy, you're going to give the 13th guy on the bench a chance to get in the game and inbound the ball. I mean, he's like the IT guy for the team. You know, he's got a headband. He's, Can I get in? I mean, that guy's going to get in the game. I don't want to see that guy in the game. And I think for a lot of people in the church, they've been beaten down by the world and they've gone, there's so much evil, I just got to hide out. The response is to kind of take all the stuff we know, all the people, all the disciples who kind of all agree and use words like disciples and sanctuary and holiness and you know they say things like you've been washed by the blood of the lamb and we're like i don't know what that means but yes i'm all about that people who say stuff like we just go that's what we want to be around they speak our language and it's safe in here now here's what i would say the chocolate milk in this group is really good but it never gets anywhere else it is a statement that says i do not want to see the world changed and i get why people have chosen this They've been burned by the world, and they go, I just don't know what else to do. It would be like as if people checked into a hospital and said, I'll stay here. I have no intention of ever getting good. I have no intention of ever being healthy and being back with my family. That's not what the church is. It's not what disciples do. Next, other people have taken on this idea of here's what disciples should do. They should go on the offensive. They should attack the world. They should devour the world. They should figure out a way to go out and just figure out how to launch an attack. That that's the best thing they could do. Well, that chocolate milk's sour. Nobody's attracted to that except other militant people. We don't believe in attack. That's not what Jesus is after. Some people say, well, this, maybe we just should absorb the world. We kind of, we, there's no difference between us and the world. That the way a disciple should live in the world is just, we don't want to seem crazy because there are so many crazy people who belong to Jesus. I don't want to be like them. And so I'll just kind of, Jesus on Sunday and the rest of my life, it's sort of divorced from that. It doesn't really matter. I, you know, I kind of do whatever I want and come to church and get a little inspiration. Then I go back to my life. But nobody would look at me and say, you're spilling over something really beautiful. That's not discipleship either. There's this other way I want us to consider. Now, I should tell you, if you ever hear something I say that you think, that's really cool. Chances are I got that from a podcast called Radiolab. Okay? Some of you listen to Radiolab. Some of you don't. It's, it's not like it's a Christian podcast. They just say really cool stuff. If you go, that's really cool. So here's this one thing. Not too long ago, I'm listening to a podcast. And they're talking about this. They're interviewing this one guy who's, uh, who his, he managed to help his kid who had suffered from severe autism overcome the severe autism 
solely by watching Disney movies. You guys see this? Some of you guys heard this story, right? That this kid would watch Disney movies over and over and over again. The songs, the like, whatever. He just kind of connected with them. And there's this moment where they're watching this movie and the kid, the kid keeps saying this word all of a sudden. He's never, he never speaks, barely can speak. He says like four words. And he says the words. He says, he, one of the words he can say is the word juice. And he says this word and they're all looking at him as they're watching this movie. He says, juice or vos? And they're like, juice or vos? They're all looking at, we don't know, what, we don't have, we have, do you want juice? And he's like, he keeps yelling, juice or vos, juice or vos, keeps yelling juice or vos. And they're all kind of freaking out. What does this mean? And so they, he gets the remote control, which his brother had taught him how to use. And he keeps reminding, re- reminding on the little mermaid when this, when this uh, the, the, the sea witch, Ursula, you guys, I don't know if you remember this. I have little kids. Says, says, to, this, to, to, says to Ariel, the little mermaid, she says, I don't want anything, just your voice. With me? And so they kind of figure out as he keeps rewinding and playing the scene over, are you trying to talk to us? But he's like, yes, just your voice. So they figure out over some time, the father begins to figure out how to talk to his son. He hears his son beginning to develop words and playing by himself in the voices of the characters he'd been watching on these Disney shows. And he, he gets behind, he figures out how to get into his kid's room and he finds a puppet. And it's this puppet of Iago the parrot from Aladdin. Some of you again, no, you don't know who that is. It's all right. It's the most critical thing you've ever seen in your life. Anyway, but he starts, he takes, he hides himself as if he's operating the puppet and he does the voice of the puppet and he kind of says, you know, how are you feeling? Using the voice of this character and the kid starts talking. It's amazing. He's using the voice of another character in the show and all of a sudden they begin to develop a language and this kid's in this long, it's unbelievable. He's on this long process of recovery to begin to be mainstreamed into the rest of the world and it's, a, it's this beautiful story. And they're quick to caution that it's not like all autism can be cured from the, just watching Disney movies, but for this kid, it happened. Now, as he's in transition to begin to be introduced into mainstream life, he goes to live in a place with this acronym, G-R-O-W, grow. Now, I, I, <laughs> I, grew up, I, I grew up going to churches where everything was an acronym. When I was in college, I went to a church in LA that was, the, the, the college ministry was called CHARGE. College Hour, a Radical God Experience. So, I mean, I just want to let you know, I have, a, I have a hesitant, I have like a natural sort of resistance to like acronyms because of it. Like, it was really cool. I love my college ministry, but like, hey, are you going to charge? Is that an energy drink? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, like whatever. But grow. Here's what they were trying to do with these kids. Getting ready for the outside world. That is what discipleship is. That people who belong to Jesus would look at the world and go, there is so much we can do, and we want to get ready to do it. That's discipleship. And so, as we talk about discipleship and unleashing the impossible, I want you to think about it in these terms. Engagement. What if it looks like engagement? This kind of artful, skillful, kind of courageous engagement with the world. And yes, it's messy. And yes, there are things and people that we have to kind of overlap with that don't agree with what we agree with and we're not sure how to navigate that stuff, but that's what we're called to because it's impossible. And that impossible kind of life is full and rich and beautiful and that's what it's about. Somehow, this artful, skillful, courageous engagement with the world, that's what disciples do. We don't hide. We don't just go on the attack. We don't just merely become like the world. Instead, we have this engagement. And then it's not just spilling of chocolate milk, if you take the analogy even further. It's the actual sharing of it. Come and taste and see. I don't know everything, and my life isn't perfect, but there's a life that God wants that he's given me, and I want you to see it. That's the kind of thing there. Now, I'm tipping my hat a little bit to what's going to happen next week. 
with this last thing, and we're going to take communion. People who are disciples, one of the things that marks them, which I'll talk about more next week, is the idea of making more disciples. Here's what it says. Jesus says this. Therefore, go and make disciples. He's speaking to his disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What he's saying is, you have to give people, that you have to take this seriously and live it out in the world such that people understand and are artfully and skillfully and courageously engaged with the story that I've taught you. That's what I want for you, he says. Now, I want to do this. More on this, like I said, next week. But there's an active participation by people in sort of this multiplication of what God's doing. Now, some of you, I want to challenge, there's a couple of you in here that I don't know who you are, but there's a couple of you I just want, I want to challenge you with something. You've heard Mike talk about Rooted if you were here earlier. He talked about what that has done for people's lives. You saw the video. You saw that kind of stuff, what Rooted does. Some of you need to go through the Rooted experience. Some of you who have been through Rooted, I'm talking to you. I want you to consider doing something we're doing for the very first time, which is a one-hour rooted group that you host. And it's not for people. Some of you are like, ooh, one hour a week? I could do that. No, it's not for you. If you're hearing my voice, it's not for you. Oh. (laughs) But some of you have access to a conference room, a teacher's lounge. You have access to maybe a community center, whatever it might be, where you go, I want, there's some people in my life who I wonder if they might be curious about being involved in some kind of conversation about Jesus. And you're like, well, I'm not sure if I'm qualified. Have you been through Rooted? Do you have people skills? Are you kind of on, do you have a clue about how to, I mean, if that's you, then maybe you're qualified. It doesn't require someone who's a brilliant. It just requires someone who could be patient and sit with people one hour a week and walk them through the Rooted experience. We're calling these things because they sound, they're brand new. We're calling them impossible groups. If you, I know people always ask me, like, what could I do in my, what could I do in my business? What could I do? What could happen? I, you know, maybe you're, not the, maybe you're not the boss, Bob. Maybe you don't own the company, but maybe you're allowed to have access at the lunchtime for a group for people to discuss some things, to be heard, to be understood, to, to wrestle with some of life's biggest questions. If that's you, you need to talk to Mike afterwards, who was up here earlier, and I want you to do this to make it easy too. You can do one of two things to make sure we have your contact. On the contact card, which you, you know, it's on the back here of the bulletin. Fill it out, and in the bottom section it says that those three lines, just write the word impossible, okay? And then we'll know if you want to, you can't leave, you can't talk, you got to pick up kids, whatever it is, like get it, we'll contact you. But if you're like, I want to do one of those, I want to lead one, I want to be a part of that, I love this idea, then you can do it in your community, in your school, whatever, in your business, all right? Now, it's gone really long, let's, let's do this. One of the things that marks the disciples, that's marked them from the very beginning of the life of the church is Communion. Jesus tells his disciples, if you want to have the life that's really life, this full kind of life, then you have to do this bizarre thing, which is eat my flesh and drink my blood. He later clarifies what he means by repurposing the Passover elements that we celebrate at Easter. He says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And actually, this is my body that's been given for you. And then he says, whenever you, and then he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you eat this bread and drink this blood, do so to remember me, to remind you that there is no other life except the life that I give you. And so people, believers, people who follow Jesus, acknowledge this and they remember Jesus in taking communion, saying, there is no other life except what you can give. I will be filled and continually be being kept filled because of what your great love gives in my life. So let's do this. I'm going to pray together. Band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to receive communion. And so um, I'll give you some instructions in just a second. Let's pray. Jesus, we live lives that are necessarily in need of being filled. We're longing to see great 
and wonderful and miraculous things happen in our lives, and we don't know how that's going to happen except by your power. Father, right now as we receive communion, as we move into a time of receiving this gift of your great life and fullness for us, might you work in us, reminding us of the life that you want us to have. Might the clearest picture of that life be of your love. And so, Lord, we give you this time to respond to you, to hear from you, and to receive this great gift, remembering the fullness of life that you would give to us. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now.